Well, good evening. Thank you for being here on this Wednesday night. It's definitely getting warmer outside, for sure. We have, this is lesson two, as Pastor said. We uh, Two weeks ago, we did lesson one. And for this one, the lessons here are more on the... Uh, uh, more like biblical principles, and it's really going to set the stage for the next two lessons that we're going to have. So they're all going to tie together, and there's quite a bit of uh, notes uh, outlined, so we're going to get right into this. I may talk a little bit fast, but I'll slow down on the parts where it requires you to write down. And uh, if you miss anything at all afterwards, just come see me, and I will get all those blanks for you filled in. Got to fill in those blanks. It's very important. So our first, right here, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I know it's in your notes as well, but Ephesians chapter 6. This is a verse all parents love and enjoy, but you didn't when you were kids. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. In fact, let's all read verse 1 together. I know you, most of you probably know it by heart. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 all together. Ready? Begin. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Don't you wish that that's all you had to do? <laughs> Kids, come here. All right, sit down. Bible says, Ephesians 6, 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Any questions? No? Good. Great. I need my car washed right now. Yes, sir, you got it. And they walk out the door, and everything's great. But you know it doesn't work that way, because you know when you were a kid, it didn't work that way either. Parents must carefully oversee their children. They must be in control. They must establish wise rules. The first part of the Ephesians passage is addressed to children, but children cannot obey their parents unless... The parents set rules and provide an authoritative environment. So this is a little bit of uh, some biblical principles that will help us and set the stage for how we can help our kids, help ourselves make it through this, this uh, day and age that we live in today. So number one, let's get right into it. Training teens is a full-time job. And when I say teens, this could be kids, this could also mean uh, any age. But training teens is a full-time job and requires total commitment by the father and mother. So it requires total commitment. God promises victory. And we have seen in our day and age many families who have victory, who have, who've grown up and who have kids who are serving the Lord or who are, just, who are good kids, who, who obey the Bible, who are in church, who are faithful to God. And it is possible. It may seem impossible sometimes. But it's certainly not. I think every parent's goal in life is to see their kids grow up and serve the Lord and just better the world that we live in. That's, that's uh, hopefully our goal, is to see our children serving God with their lives. But it seems like less and less of that is happening. And there are several reasons for that. We're going to be looking at that. But training, training kids in general is a full-time job. Now, I don't think I need to emphasize this too much. But I have an illustration about this that happened to, to our family this morning. Um, we have, we, I don't have a teenager. We have a 10-month-old uh, son. And I was in the room. And all of a sudden, we hear him crying. And that's normal. All 10-month-year-olds cry. Actually, 10-year-olds cry. 20-year-olds cry, I suppose. But he was crying. And uh, I go in. And uh, my wife is holding our son. And he's, he, you know, he cries. But then there's that cry he gives where... It's, something's off. Something's not right. So, and she's like, I don't know, but I think he might have, think he might have swallowed something because he was kind of choking too, kind of gagging. But he was breathing, but he was just, he was kind of stopping to, to choke and to cough a little bit. And of course, this is our first time experiencing this. And we, uh, so I, which we look inside, try to make him, we would use some techniques that we were taught and nothing's really working. And, and, and then he would go to laughing and then one second later, he'd go back to choking again. It's like, okay, let's... So we took him into the emergency room, and we were there for a couple hours. And it's, you know how this works, right? As soon as you get to the hospital, he stops laughing. He starts, he starts laughing. He stops crying. As soon as you pull up, everything's fine. It's like, oh, great. So we get inside, and they, they put us aside. 
And now that he's laughing and smiling, they don't treat us seriously, so they put us in some room for a while. And then all of a sudden he starts his, his thing again. He starts coughing and joking. And so they, they, gra- they go in there and they, they say, okay, we're going to take him to the x-ray, uh, get to, to go get an x-ray. So we go in there and the doctor couldn't see anything you know, from looking at it. So we're about to, we go into the room, we're about to get his x-ray and they whip out this chair that looks like a, a torture chamber chair. You know, something that you would do to <laughs> get information out of a secret agent or something. It's got straps all up and down and as soon as Titus saw the chair, all of a sudden he starts, like he's, he, and I'm looking at him like, are you okay? And then I, I looked, I saw something coming out. So I reach inside and I pull out this long, like piece of um, clear plastic. It was real thin and small, but it was just enough. Of course, you know, we spent the whole morning trying to figure out where that came from and how it got on the floor. And these questions you'll never find out in life, I guess. And, you know, it's almost like as soon as you saw the chair, he thought, okay, okay, all right, I'm done now. I'm done, I'm done with my show. Here you go. You don't have to put me in that chair. It's all good. And I looked at him and said, we're still putting you in that chair, son, okay? We got you this far. So we got him through the x-ray. He was fine. And it, it's, it's a full-time job. He's 10 months old, but it doesn't stop when they start walking. Uh, that's, in fact, your job, from what I've been told, gets even worse at that moment. And then when you're teen, then they go through the, they call them the terrible twos, and then they get older, then they become teenagers. And then your work, in some cases, although it doesn't have to, but sometimes your work gets even harder. And it's, it's a full-time job. It's not something we just do on a part-time basis. And I fear that's what's happening with a lot of teenagers today is... We're not, we're not careful with them. We, we get our eyes off them for a little bit, and all of a sudden they're putting something in their mouth, spiritually speaking. You take their eyes off them for a second, and now they're grabbing into some sin, and they're swallowing it. Now, Titus is 10 months old. He has no idea that I could, you know, what, what that could do to him. He just goes, oh, something I could chew on. It's fantastic. It's great. It's just free lying around. I love this. And sometimes teenagers in ignorance can grab stuff that we as parents should catch. That, that shouldn't have been on the floor. It shouldn't have been there. It's our fault. And a lot of times our kids end up, sometimes the way they do is because parents, we have failed on our end. And this is uh, something for us all to consider. And part two of that story, just a couple hours ago, we were back in my office and I saw Titus, this is hours after that whole ordeal happened. I saw him chewing on something again. And we hadn't even put him down. We've been holding him the whole time. And I thought, what? what is, and I go in there, and it's almost the identical same little piece of plastic that he had, almost as if he had ripped half of it off and saved it under his tongue, you know, when, for when we weren't looking. And here's a situation where if we're not careful with our, with our kids, spiritually speaking, they can find themselves chewing on the world, chewing on sin, and that is very, very damaging. And we as parents need to do our part. It is a full-time uh, commitment that you or I, that we must hold to. Uh, Proverbs 29 verse 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. It's Proverbs 29 15. A child left to himself will bring his, his mother shame. We, li- we leave him alone for five seconds. And in this case, it wasn't necessarily shame, more shame on our part for leaving something on the floor. But you leave your kids alone too long, they will shame you. Your kids need your authority in your life. They need your supervision. And this all takes place here. Imagine, uh, I had a friend, his dad. His dad was quite, uh, he, he grew up in a, bro, uh, his mom, you know, he would see his dad on the weekends and he had his mom during the weekday. And his dad had quite a bit of money. And he was 16 years old. His dad bought him this uh, brand new car. It was a six-speed, real fast something he shouldn't have had, and everyone knew, and he was one of my good friends, but I knew he should not have that car. He was not ready to handle that responsibility. It was given him too young, and guess what? He, uh, he got in a very bad car accident. He was fine. His car was destroyed, but he lost a really expensive car. So we need to, we need to keep our eyes on our children. Okay, let, let's continue on here. So letter A, the father must be the overseer of everything. The father must be the overseer of everything. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
Now, the, the father doesn't have to necessarily do everything, but he should be in charge. He should oversee. That's part of his responsibility. Uh, number two, uh, next, the mother must be a keeper at home. Mo- the mother must be a keeper at home. And, and we live in a society where a, a lot of times both parents work. Both parents are working. And, and, a lot of, and, and in some cases, that, that does have its effect on kids. When, uh, uh, our, we live in a society where kids are being raised by daycares. They're being raised by babysitters. And they're not being raised by mom. They're not being raised by dad. Uh, because many times, uh, both parents, they have to pursue their, career, their careers. And uh, a lot of times, they put their careers above their kids. And I don't want to dwell on this too long. I don't want to step on toes or anything. But it, it's, it's true. It's fact. And we need to consider that what is our most precious uh, you know, gem that God has given to us. And we need to make sure that our kids are getting our, the, as much attention from us as they possibly can because they need it, especially in this world where we have these cell phones, where we have the internet. Uh, I think of, uh, and you've heard the stories of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday had several kids, and his oldest uh, daughter, she actually was the only one that, that turned out okay and turned out actually serving the Lord. But after she was older, uh, Billy Sunday's younger kids, Billy Sunday and his wife, they both together started traveling around America and preaching the gospel and you know evangelizing. And they were doing good for the Lord, but they left their older sons to, uh, to be... To, uh, they did not bring them with them, and they were not raised by them. And there was three boys left to them, left to be in the care of their of, of different nannies as they would travel around. And you probably know the story, but none of them lived over the age of forty. They were all they all died of uh, either through some kind of a drunkenness, alcohol. They abused their bodies. The parents were there to lead them. So it's very important. The father must be the overseer. The mother must be a keeper. The father is the keeper of the home. Next, parents can accomplish these things by living by faith and serving God rather than mammon. Serving God rather than mammon. And that, of course, comes from Matthew 6 and verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the, do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we, as, we need to make sure that we're keeping the Lord first. That we're keeping our eyes on him. And in doing so, our kids have a much better chance, of course, at serving the Lord. Uh, so let, let's move on from this. I have, there's, a, there's a lot to say. Now this, I'll remind you, this, a lot of this is from a curriculum from the Way of Life Ministries uh, by David Cloud. This is actually, this section I gave you here, it's actually a 70-page uh, outli- outline that I've condensed for you in four pages. <laughs> All right? So, number two. Training teens begins in infancy. Training teens, or training any children for that matter, it begins right away. And I feel, and some of this stuff we're, I'm mentioning here is, is God has really spoken to me about. And I'm glad that I'm reading this and I'm doing this because it's easy to, to see a small kid and think, well, I'll start, I'll start doing this in a little bit. I'll start doing this when they're doing this. But really, the, now is the time to start training them for God, even before they know how to read or they know how to speak. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24 says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Chasteneth thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Proverbs 19, 18. To discipline, to, there needs to be some form of discipline in the home. There needs to be something, and it needs to start at a young age. If you start disciplining, you start throwing rules down at your kids when they're five, when they're six years old, uh, that's too late. You, that needs to have been started a long time ago. I remember, um, uh, oh, several years ago when we started our, in our junior church program, we used to have all the kids in one big room and it was just getting too much. So we thought, let's split, let's split them ages uh, five to eight. Let's put them in one room and then the older kids in the other room. But when we did that, it was great for the older kids, for most of them, the younger kids now, 
there, the energy in that room just shot times, times 10. The energy just fed off each other and we had to get together and we had to, we had to write down a set of rules and regulations. And you can walk in there in our junior church, every, they, without these rules, it would, be, it would be chaos in there. But when we go in there, they sit down, and the first thing we do is we go over all the rules. We remind them every single week, even though some of them, yeah, I know what the rules are, yeah, raise your hand, and they have the rules down. But we go over them, we make sure, otherwise they'll forget. And sometimes they know, but they need to be reminded. And with that, when a kid goes out of order, we say, uh, remember what the rules are. And in our case, we'll maybe take a Bible buck away or whatever the case is. But rules, it needs to start young. It needs to start now. So that way when they get to the older class, the older teachers don't have to do anything. They're already trained. So thank you, Angelique, for training all the older kids for us, I suppose. So we have training begins in infancy. Uh, number three, training teens requires gaining and keeping their hearts. Gaining and keeping their hearts. A lot of times we have trouble with our kids as they get older because we have lost their heart. Or we don't know what their heart is anymore. And we need to learn as parents to keep their hearts. In Proverbs 23, in verse 26, the Bible says, My son, give me thine heart. Give me thine heart. Ephesians 6, in verse 4, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, Give me thine hearts. The heart is the center of the individual's life. The word heart is mentioned 833 times in scriptures. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thine heart for, uh, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And there's many other verses. It begins when, when the kids are small, but it must be maintained. You want their heart. It's easy to capture their heart when they're young, but you need to, we have to learn to keep it all the way through. The devil will try to steal their hearts, especially when they get to those teenage years. When they start developing a mind of their own, they start thinking for themselves, and they start wanting to explore that's where the devil tries to snatch their heart. Small children naturally want to be with their parents. But when the children get older, they sometimes lose interest in their parents and their heart starts to go elsewhere. Keeping the heart requires uh, several things. Number one, and this is just free here, but keeping the heart involves loving the children and making sure that they know you love them. Say, well, they know I love them. They have a house and I feed them. Well, a house and food, every, a lot of kids have that. Is that enough for them? Keeping the heart involves the father loving his wife. It has been said that one of the best things a father can do for his children is to love their mother. When children see that, it has an effect. Keeping the heart involves showing godly Christian character, kindness, patience, grace, mercy, forgiveness, understanding. If you're hard-nosed, if you're a, a taskmaster with your kids at times, you're strong but without compassion, you're firm but not patient, and you're not merciful, all authority and no friend, you are probably going to live to regret. There needs to be a balance between compassion and firmness. You do need both, but it takes God to give us that balance. Keeping the heart involves being involved with the, in the children's lives, knowing what they are doing and thinking, knowing who their friends are, knowing what they are learning, knowing what they learn, what they are loving. Keeping their heart involves fathers not provoking their children to wrath. This is sometimes we can be unreasonable in rules and regulations we give, but if there's guidelines, if there's biblical principles behind everything we give, we can keep our children's hearts and we can keep nurturing them. But it's hard if you start this whole process when they're teens. It's not over for them, but it's certainly much more difficult when it's done as children and they grow up with the Lord. It's certainly much easier with the family. Keeping the heart involves filling the home and family with wholesome, positive, interests, interesting, fun things. Things that are spiritual and godly and pure. 
and we'll dwell, dwell upon this later. Number four, training teens requires being a disciplinarian. Training teens requires being a disciplinarian. Now, we won't dwell on this either, but it just needs to be said that training teenagers, uh, there is aspects to this. Uh, Proverbs 29 and verse 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left himself bringeth his mother to shame. The parent should be a friend to their children, but not necessarily a buddy. And a buddy is a buddy won't won't discipline another buddy. Then they wouldn't be buddies anymore. That that would be something else. I would say a good friend can can instruct and can counsel, but a, a friend will will never necessarily discipline like a parent might to their children. So it's good to be a friend. I mean, Pastor, why are you telling me all this stuff? It's all going to make sense, okay? So hang in there. True parental love is a disciplinary, uh, is a protecting love. Uh, Proverbs 13, 24. Modern psychological, uh, excuse me, modern psychology undermines parental authority and discipline. But the Bible teaches us that training teens requires much love and firmness. Not one over the other, but both in the same. So letter A here, training teens requires teaching them obedience and respect for authority when they are small. When they are small. Now, I know we know this. We want our kids to respect and love our authority. But a lot of times we start too late. And it needs to smart when they're young. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man. And fear thy God. I am the Lord. Leviticus 19.32 since the child cannot see God, he must be taught to respect divine authority through learning, the respect to, through learning to respect human authority. When they're young kids, they may not know, they may know of God, but then maybe not have, they haven't maybe experienced God yet. They need to learn that respect and authority through humans, through us, through you, through others. And I know you know this. Let it be that uh, the discipline and training must be, this is important. The discipline and training must be consistent. Must be consistent. Even in junior church, you, you're going about and the kids know the rules. They know they're not supposed to speak out. They're supposed to raise their hand first, but they'll test you. They'll speak out loud. And if you don't correct them on it, they're just going to do it again. Until you say, oh, wait, wait, hold on, go back, go back, wait. You're not supposed to be. And then they laugh because they know they got away with it. They know they got you. And they're always testing. Kids are smart. Kids are always testing. That's why consistency is very, very vital. It's very important. If the training is inconsistent off and on, it will not work. And in fact, could do more harm than good if you lay rules down and don't do anything about it. Or you're not consistent with it. That actually does more harm because now they know and they think that your authority, they think now that your rules aren't actually that important because you don't even, you don't even require that they be obeyed. And it's interesting how, how the mind of a child thinks. That's exactly what happens. Uh, letter B, or as a C. The use of the rod doesn't stop when children are small. The use of the rod, and that's just a biblical term, doesn't stop. It's just a term for discipline. Disciplining doesn't stop when they're just young kids. They need to be continually disciplined uh, until, well, I guess until they don't need to be disciplined anymore. And whether it's taking away their PlayStation, whether it's taking away their phone, whether it's whatever it is that you do, there needs to still be discipline throughout because uh, that's just how... How we are. Honestly, sometimes we adults, we, need, we get disciplined, but we get disciplined from God. And that's, uh, well, that's much worse. The use of the rod doesn't stop when the children are small. Number five, training teens focuses on a biblical conversion experience. A biblical conversion experience. Now, this may be the, one of the most important of the, however many we have, uh, points here. I guess there's 14. The 15th one we won't really be doing. Training teens, focus, training teens focuses on a biblical conversion. 
unless young people are saved, they, can't be pro- they cannot be discipled. You cannot disciple your children to love God, to respect authority, to do what you say, to do what the Bible says, if they don't have Jesus Christ living inside of them. Now, you can, when they're younger, they'll learn, they'll respect you out of authority because you're much bigger, you're stronger. But when those kids become your strength, when they become even your IQ, uh, you're going to need more than just your overbearingness. You're going to need God's help. And those kids need Jesus Christ inside of them. And I fear this is a huge problem with a lot of families today. This is a frightful fact in light of the shallowness of evangelism in so many churches today where they're not really fully preaching the gospel. Now, the church, the church I grew up in, the gospel was preached. And I thank God for the church I grew up in. I thank God for this church that does preach the gospel. And you can guarantee, and you are welcome as parents to sit in on any of our classes, but the gospel is preached there. We preach Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. We, che- we preach heaven. We preach hell. Because that's what the Bible says. And kids without Christ won't really understand anything that's happening here. Now, dealing with children about salvation is very important. I think that's letter A. Uh, Let me see here. Yes. How to deal with children about salvation. Now, we're not going to really go over this in great detail. But I only want to go over this because mistakes have been made. So letter A, or number one, fill their, uh, fill their minds with God's word. Fill their minds with God's word. We, as parents, we must always be filling them with God's word. What ends up happening is we end up filling them with everything but God's word. The only time they get God's word is when you bring them to Sunday school, to church. But when they're at home, what they, what, at home, what do they get filled with at home? Television. YouTube, uh, music, whatever it is. That's how they get filled at home. Whatever your conversation is with them, that's what they get. The only time they get God sometimes is a couple hours a week on Sunday. So learn to fill their mind with God's word when they're young. Uh, Next, teach them the gospel. Teach them the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is described in a nutshell in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse uh, 1 through 4. It is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many people grow up in a Bible-believing home and a Bible-believing church, but they're not saved. And it's possible. Say, whose fault is that? That's the youth pastor's fault. Well, that's pastor's fault. They weren't preaching it well enough. They weren't weren't saying enough illustrations. They were just saying it way over my uh, my kid's head. Look, when you stand before God, you you can try blaming us, and maybe it'll work. But your responsibility of your home has been given to the parents. Now, we do our best, and I promise we do our best to preach the gospel, to, to try to train your children. That's the, that's the role that God has given us. But ultimately, the, respons- the responsibility falls back on mom and dad. It falls back on you. So yes, sometimes there are children that grow up through church, and they turn 18, and they turn around, and they never see church again. Was it the church's fault? Sometimes the church wasn't preaching what they should have been. It's true. But ultimately it falls back on the parents. Now understand this. Uh, I, I had one of my closest friends growing up. And this, is, this is his story. We were, we were buddy buddies. We did everything. We, uh, we, got, we surrendered to preach the same sermon. that We had an evangelist. Tom Shuey was his name. And he, would, he was preaching. He was, he was one of those guys that would spit. You know, if you're on the first row, you were drenched by the end of the service. And he was going off on young men need to surrender their life to God. And man, I thought, that's exactly what I want to do. And I went forward and I said, Lord, I don't even know what really preaching means. I think I was 10 or 11. I said, but I want to do that. I want to serve you with my life. And my friend went forward. He did the same thing. And we grew up thinking we were going to, you know, win. We were going uh, we to be the next D.L. Moody's and the Billy Sundays. We were going to see his world turn around for God. And... One day, my friend is 17. I, I think everything's going great. And all of a sudden, uh, he, he doesn't show up for church one Sunday. And he, that wasn't like him. So I called him up. What's up, man? Where are you at? And uh, he, he was very vague on the answers. And I found out through, through other circumstances, he got involved with a girl in our church at 17. And he, he ended up at her house one night when, when parents weren't home. And you know what happened. And mom found out. And 
Well, I'll just long story short, he's nowhere in church today. He's nowhere near anywhere uh, where he needs to be. He's a great kid, and he loves his parents, but he's, he, is, he doesn't go to church. He, doesn't, he wants nothing to do with God anymore. And we grew up together. We, we, we were in the same preaching. We, were under the, we went to the same camps. We went to the same youth conferences. And why did I turn out one way and he turned out another way? I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that it's possible for, some, for somebody to sneak through their life without ever accepting Christ, even in a good church. And that's why parents don't ever assume. And not that you need to always question and doubt your children's salvation, but there needs to be evidence. And we're going to look at that secondly, uh, uh, next. But number C, deal with repentance. Deal with repentance. Letter C, deal with Repentance. You know, I was four when I made my profession of faith, first time. My dad was happy. He, he led me into a prayer, and I don't remember any of this, but he says I did, and he was so proud of me. And he, we went out to ice cream, you know, and he, we celebrated that now I'm going to heaven. And, but I didn't, I was four. I didn't really know what I did. It was more words, and I knew my dad would be so happy if I did it. And, and I didn't, I wasn't really lying. I, I didn't know who God was, and uh, I thought, great. But there wasn't really a, a change in a four-year-old, I suppose. But I know for a fact when I was 10, I know. I know where I was. I know what I was doing. I was reading my Bible. And that was the first time that I really understood what my sin was doing. That my sin was stopping me from going to heaven. And that was the first time that I understood what repentance was. I didn't know it, I didn't know it was the word repentance. I didn't know that's what it was. But I, that was the time where that became real to me. And when that became real, I changed. I was different. I, I know I was only 10. I wasn't perfect after that by any means. But there needs to be a repentance in your child's life. Uh, letter D, don't pressure them. Don't pressure them into salvation. Just because they say the words doesn't mean they're saved. I know you know this. But this is something I really, and I've said this before, but I really respect my dad for, is when I was, when I was four is when I, you know, I made a profession. Then he pushed me. He's like, got to get baptized right away. And I, and I, which is true. You need to get baptized. So I got baptized. But it wasn't until I was 10 where I got saved. And I said, Dad, I hate to break this to you, but I just got saved. And I know for sure I did. I don't remember doing it when you said I did when I was four. And my dad, he was confused. And he, and, uh, but then he realized... Well, you got to get rebaptized again because your first one wasn't proper. Because you have to get saved then baptized. You can't do it the other way around. And uh, we made that work. But now with my other siblings, I got Jacob, Luke, Laura, and Grace. That Jacob's a, Jacob, Luke. Oh, actually, I think they're all teenagers now. I'm not sure. But they, my dad, when Jacob went up to my dad, uh, or I should say, my my dad would always teach them the Bible at night to have devotions. But Jacob wasn't maybe 13, just a couple years ago, I believe, when he actually officially got saved. Now, my dad could have easily had him say a profession when he was four, five. Easy. That, would have, that wouldn't even have to do anything. But he wanted to make sure that there was fruit in his life. He wanted to make sure that he was old enough to understand. He wanted to make sure... and. Uh, Jake got saved when he was 13. Luke got saved when he was much younger, but my dad wouldn't let him get baptized until he saw fruit in his life. He wanted to make sure it was a legitimate, real, bapt uh, a real salvation. And you may disagree with that, and that's okay. But that's the stand that my dad has taken on it. And uh, that's just an illustration for you. Letter E, you probably can't guess what the blank is. Letter E, pray, pray, obey. No, it's pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray, pray, pray. John, James 5.16. What's that verse say? James 5.16? The effectual, well, the middle part, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Praying. Your first prayer partner should be your spouse, your husband, your wife. Pray together for each other, for your children from the time they are born. Don't keep, uh, don't, don't let days slip by, but you must be praying for your infants. And this is something 
that parents should learn to do if you're not doing it now when your kid maybe your kid's too young Titus can't pray with us he he cries and screams he doesn't understand why uh, we're not playing with him so when he goes to bed that's the time where we that's the time where you pray for them and you say Lord I don't know what I don't know what kind of world he's gonna grow up in but I just pray that he grows up with his eyes fixed on you and if anybody in this world can help your children make it through this day and age that we're living in it is God the Creator and I don't know why but so many times we as parents we forget to include God in raising our children we send them to church and hope church fixes them but we forget that Almighty God can live personally inside of their life and God listens to our prayers if we have a pure heart and God wants to answer our prayers but oftentimes we never ask or we ask but we don't ask with the right heart pray 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 and uh, letter F look for and I already kind of went ahead on this one but look for the convicting drawing work of the Holy Spirit in your kids life look for evidence for fruit that salvation is there if, if they're if they made a profession when they're 10 and now they're 15 and they you still have to drag in the church that you still when you confront them they still kind of run they still kind of fight when this and this happens when they can get in, involved with things or you find out they've been sneaking around doing stuff and there seems to be no uh, no sign of even guilt in their life you gotta you gotta look for the fruits you gotta be looking which is letter G if a child does profess saving faith in Christ encourage him or her to seek the Lord and his will encourage them to seek the Lord and his will if there is if they are saved there will be a desire to serve God a change a desire to go to church you'll see a change in their respect for authority at times there needs to be some kind of fruit and when they get saved when they're really young you may not see a major difference but you will know and by asking God Lord is uh, show me signs and may my child prove that he he is saved these are these are prayers that my dad would pray all the time maybe you've never prayed that before well, Lord my son has made a profession and God if it's real help me to see it help me to see it and Lord if it's not help me to know it's not so I know how to pray for him so I know how to minister to him so I know how to lead him and guide him these are these are prayers that we may not even think to pray for and uh, last one here look for scriptural evidence of salvation in the child's life we would observe that tears are not necessarily an evidence of salvation so look for scriptural evidence and just because even sometimes emotions happen in tears that may not always be the case just make sure that you know the heart of your child uh, next biblical evidence of salvation includes the following I'm gonna go through these really fast because I've already kind of stressed these points here biblical evidence of salvation includes the following number one a conversion experience that changes the life a conversion experience that changes the life number two personal knowledge of the Lord the essence of salvation is a personal walk with God in Christ are they walking with God do they have a desire to be with God of course maybe you should be asking yourselves these questions too is there evidence of salvation in your life do you know Christ as your Savior even you today in this room you can come to church day in and day out and still not have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior sometimes we come to church as a ritual it makes us feel good and we know we need it but we we miss the fact that we don't we've never made that personal accept we haven't personally accepted Christ as our personal Savior there hasn't been a real change in our life so ask yourselves these questions number three love for and obedience to God's Word do you have a love and a passion for God's Word are your kids always complaining constantly now when they're younger they're gonna complain but when they start reaching their teen years if they got saved several years ago they're gonna have a desire to read God's Word they're gonna have a desire and look for these signs now if you don't ever read your Bible and you don't ever pray and your kids never see you do it you can't expect them to do these things either but perhaps that's a different sermon for another time the love uh, number four love of righteousness love of righteousness first John 2 3 
One thing that will always change in the individual's attitude towards authority, or one thing that will always change is an individual's attitudes towards authority. They will love righteousness, love doing what is good. Number five, continuing in the gospel. Continuing in the gospel. Salvation is evident by continuing in the gospel. They will want to tell others. They will want to let others know about the gospel, about the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And last one here is a divine chastisement. A divine chastisement. When there's evidence of salvation, you can tell when they do something wrong and there's guilt. When there's guilt, when there's anguish, when they know that what they've done is wrong and they come to you. Or when you confront them about their sin, there's, there's sorrow on their face. That's the working of the Holy Spirit. Let's move on. Number six, training teens requires that parents spend a lot of time with them. You must spend time with your kids. This is fundamental because none of the other things uh, we teach can be done if the parents don't uh, carve out enough time with their children. It's going to be hard to know and to, to, to guide and to, to help their hearts if we don't actually spend time with them. A lot of times, we, we only start spending time with our kids once, uh, once it's too late. Uh, we, they kind of get neglected here and there. Then once they start acting up, they start getting rebellious. It's like, oh wait, I've got to spend time with my kid. And a lot of times, it's already too late. Their heart has already been stolen. It's already gone. And not that it's too late, that you could still get it back. But it's, once, it's, once it's been taken away, it's going to take, really, the power of God to get it back, in many cases. Uh, number seven, training teens means the parents must fill the home with God's word. Must fill the home with God's word. Not that you have to write scripture verses all over the walls. That could work too. But the home needs to be a place of spiritual refuge. A place where verses are, are spoken of. Where God's word is proclaimed. Not just the television infiltrating the home constantly. I think, I fear that we spend, we let, allow our kids to spend more time with pop culture than we do with God's word. We allow them to spend more time listening to the world's music, hanging out with worldly friends, and hanging out with who knows where, and we forget that God's word is what they need, number one. In fact, they don't need pop culture. They don't need any of the worldly friends. What they need is God's word, and they need you. They need you. Parents, uh, I, I fear that many Christian parents come to rely on Christian media, Sunday school, youth programs, and these things for their foundation and their children, but it needs to be in the home. The home is where they, they should be getting the majority of their preaching, the majority of their teaching. Well, we can't. We're both too busy. Uh, I work here and she works there. Then you're too busy. If you're too busy to, to share, to talk about God with your kids, then you're too busy. If, if that's going to be your excuse when you stand before God, Lord, I was going to train them in the right way, but <laughs> just too busy. Uh, that, that one's not going to work. We need to reorganize our life and make sure that our kids are, are number one uh, in, our, in our lives. Uh, letter A, the parents must lead in this. The parents must lead. We can't infiltrate God's word in our home if we, as parents, aren't doing it ourselves. So we must lead this. Next, parents need to develop an effective family altar time. Parents need to develop an effective family altar time, a time where, where we get together and we pray as a family, where we study God's word. <clears throat> Here are some suggestions for the family altar. <clears throat> and I just listed them here for you. Uh, but parents, we must, train their, our, we must train our children to have a private daily study time with God. Daily devotions. And now you can't expect your kids to do this if you don't are doing it yourself. And it's good sometimes to let your kids see you doing it. Maybe stand outside their room. Let them hear you praying for them. Be on the couch with your Bible open when they wake up in the morning. Say, that's not going to make a difference. Yes, it will. Your kids aren't... If, if you're... If you're smoking a cigarette and saying, now kids, <clears throat> I'm already addicted to it, it's too late for me. But you don't do this. Do as I say, not as I do. Is that, what kind of parenting is that? You have to, we have to lead them by example. And they need to see us living God, living for God. Uh, Psalms 119 verse 9. Psalms 119 verse 9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? 
by taking heed thereto according to thy word. You want your kids to clean their way? They need to take heed to God's word. Uh, parents need to teach their children how to interpret and study the Bible. You have to teach them how to read God's word. It's not, uh, they're not going to just open up and just know how to read it. You have to teach them. And there's so many techniques and ways you can do this. And my dad would do all different kinds of them with us. But I didn't learn how to interpret God's word from my youth pastor. I learned what I knew from my dad, from sitting down with me. Say, well, your dad, you know, he, he didn't work like I did. Yeah, he didn't. He, uh, <laughs> he worked a lot, probably a lot more than some of you did. Uh, my dad was good at working. He could pull off an 80-hour week. That was average. But the reason he was still home is because he did that at nighttime. So what I didn't realize is for the first 12, 13 years of my life, my dad would be up playing with us and going all about our day, not realizing that my dad would do that on three or four hours of sleep every single night, seven days a week, because that was his job, seven days a week. And, but he realized the importance of spending time with me and making sure we had our devotions. No, we didn't do it seven days a week. Uh, no, there were many weeks where we, went, we didn't have it. But I know that we had them more than we didn't. And making sure that, we, that your kids are there, your kids will know their interest in them, uh, in, that you put in them. Uh, I'll just read through the rest. Parents should, um, parents should build a good Christian library for the home so they learn wholesome things. They can find answers to questions. You should have resources in your house that help them towards Christ, not just movies and games that take them away from Christ, but you should have books. You should have good Christian movies. You should have good things in your house that actually can point them to Christ. Parents should guide their children in their reading. Parents should teach their children how to act in church and how to profit from church. All right, so there's many more, but there's just a few for you there. And we obviously won't get through all of this today, but let's just go through letter eight, and then uh, we'll see where we're at from there. Training teens means the parents must maintain close supervision of their children and know what they are doing. They must maintain close supervision. Proverbs 29, 15. Parents must lovingly and jealously oversee everything their children do. Their education, their entertainment, their friends. They must know what is happening in their children's lives and hearts. Uh, letter H. Parents must be exceedingly careful about their children's friends. I put this number one because this is the number one reason even sometimes Christian kids go astray. It's because of their friends. And it's the parents' fault because we let them have those friends. It's not my fault. They go to school. It's, it, 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 all of it falls back on the parents. The friends that they hang out with, my best friend, that's what happened to him. He got caught up with the wrong girl. I wasn't, I'm not going to say that I was the most mature teenager, but I knew enough to know that this particular girl in our church was somebody I need to stay away from. There was something about her, the way she dressed, the way she walked, the way she talked, the way she uh, interacted with other guys. It just made me feel uncomfortable. And maybe it was the Holy Spirit inside of me that just said, Tim, just keep your distance from her. You can say hi, you can be friendly, but that's it. So I, I knew better. When I found out my friend was like hanging out with her constantly, I thought, well, that doesn't make spiritual sense. Does he not see what I see? It's so clear to me. I didn't even need my dad to tell me this one. And, I would, and of, unfortunately, I was not the friend I should have been. I should have went up to my friend, and I should have said, why are you talking with, what, why are you hanging out with her so much? I should have been the good enough friend to, to try to counsel him out of it, but I just let him do it, and I have to live with that. But understand that we, the, your friends, the kids, the friends that your kids hang out with will influence them, and your, your kids will become like the friends that they hang out with. And I, I hope you've heard this a million times, but this is, this is what happens. Uh, next, even relationships with relatives, such as grandparents, aunts, uncles, and cousins, must be carefully guarded. Now, you may disagree with me on this, but how many of you have unsaved relatives, unsaved grandparents, unsaved aunts, unsaved uncles, unsaved cousins that your kids, your kids have their cousins? And yes, they're family. Yes, you, you need to go to family reunions. You need to hang out with them. But if your aunts and uncles, if, you, if your, your brothers and sisters, if they're, 
If you, would go, if you go over to their house and they've got alcohol in their fridge, if they've got things that you know you're telling your kids are wrong, if, they're, if, they're, if there's a really uh, ungodly influence there, you need, to, you need to protect. Not that they can never see them, but just use spiritual wisdom and how you let the world influence your children. And yes, sometimes that even means your own family. And I know that may, may sound harsh, but just something for you to consider, something for you to think about. The reason... I am for this is because uh, I I understand this is because I had a cousin who claimed to be saved and when and I spent a lot of time with my cousin because you know my mom and her sister they were like best friends and we used to live an hour from each other and I used to go over to his house and he come to my house we I spent half my life with my cousin but my cousin was never saved and I knew I knew because most of the, the bad words I ever learned was from him. Most of the bad influence I learned, and my mom had, my mom, they do now, I, I explain it to them now, for my siblings' sakes. But I told her, look, mom, this is some of the stuff that I learned from him, and I wouldn't have learned it from anywhere else. This is the music, when I went over there, you're talking like seven-year-old, and this is the music that he had in his closet, and my mom had no idea. My dad had no idea. This is some of the stuff, the conversations he would bring up with me. This is the stuff that he would talk about. And you're talking like, started when I was seven, eight, nine, ten years old. And the older we got, the worse it got. Because he was out in the world. He wasn't with God. This was my cousin. And uh, I'm not trying to split families here. Please don't. I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying pray about this. Consider and get, let God give you wisdom on how your children are influenced. And this is a very serious problem we have in our day and age today. Next, parents must maintain this supervision until the children, the child enters adulthood. Until they enter adulthood. Parents, uh, we're just going to finish this, this point off here. Parents must help the young people make the right decisions about job and education. They must help their young people make the right decision about jobs and education. They have gotten the wrong, uh, many times we let our kids get their first job and it's, it's wrong. They've, they've gotten the wrong job. We let them get jobs that allow them to work on Wednesday nights, to work on Sundays, and we okay that. Uh, we, we, we say that's fine. What are we teaching our children? They have, uh, next is they have pursued the wrong type of education. God is leading them maybe to, into full-time ministry, or maybe they're feeling this way, and you're pushing them in another direction, and have you considered perhaps what God, what is best for them? And just consider your children's education that also falls on you and make sure God is involved. Uh, parents must know enough about technology to help and protect the children. You don't have to know everything about technology, but you just got to know a little bit, just enough to know, to, to be able to interact with your kids, to know enough to be able to know what's going on. No, you're not going to know everything, but it's okay to it's okay to look into it. It's okay to study these things. It's okay to try to do your best. And there's a lot more information on this, but uh, perhaps I will finish this point off later. Is that good, Pastor? All right. And uh, we're going to, I know I have that last little section right here, but I don't want to brush over it too fast, okay? So we're going to take a break here, and uh, we'll f I'll finish this up on, uh, I guess, two weeks from now. So keep this paper, keep it in your Bible, don't lose it. And we're going to continue on this. And it's going to tie right into our next lesson and how we're going to, how this could all make sense for us. And so maybe I can close in prayer and then I'll uh, turn it over to Pastor for, uh, as our time is now up. 